morning. Thanks, Scott. You guys are awesome. Great to come together and sing that and say those words. Be reminded of that truth that God is a good, good father, and he's perfect in all of his ways. Um, and his ways, uh, they, they baffle us sometimes. They blow our minds sometimes. Um, his ways are not our ways because he's way different than us. He exists outside of time and space, and any confines that we know and we understand, he exists outside of that. That's hard for us to understand. See, God's a good, good father, and he knows what you're going to face tomorrow because he's already there. It's not like God's going to get there with you. He's already there. He's outside of time. Any, bound, any, any kind of boundaries that you can imagine that you yourself have, God doesn't have that, and that's good. Basically, yesterday, today, and forever is just, I mean, he sees all that right now. He doesn't have to contemplate. He doesn't have to prepare. He doesn't have to imagine and invent. He just doesn't have to. That's our God. And um, it's good to be reminded of that. This morning, we basically talked through some responses to pain and suffering, and many people um, I know are walking through some difficult times. You're walking through pain and suffering. You're going through life and you're uh, at, at a place where, as James says, uh, you've fallen, you've encountered suffering, and, and you've fallen into uh, a, a hole in the road. And, and maybe you, you didn't see that coming. But tonight, we talked this morning about responses to suffering. Tonight we're going to uh, talk a little bit about um, not just responses to suffering, but where our pain and where our sufferings sometimes come from. And we're going to deal with that, and we're going to uh, dig in deep a little bit, and we're going to sink our faith and our spiritual teeth into some truths tonight. And I think, and I hope, and I pray that it will, it will, will we'll all be better for it. But before we do that, let's pray and ask God to help us because we need it today. God, we need you in this place, God. We need the Spirit of God to be here in a real way because we need to understand and know the Word of God. We need to embrace the freedom that the grace of God has for us. We need to embrace the journey and the path, Lord, that you've paved for us. We need to understand, God, and know, Lord, that you're with us, that you're guiding us, you're walking with us. And it's a good place for us to be, God. So everybody in this room right now, God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them, that you would minister to them, that you would help them, that you would uh, give them what they need tonight, God. And we just come to you now. We pray in the sweet name of Jesus. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be bouncing around a good bit tonight. I know uh, this morning we, we built a fire and camped out at Psalm 71. Um, just a while ago, someone said, you know, I've read Psalm 71 a lot, but I didn't mine all of that out of it. And it's a good psalm. It's a good uh, thing for us to do this morning to, to be reminded of, of, of the journey that we're on and some of the sufferings that we go through. Um, so we talked about those six responses to suffering that we found. Um, but let's look at, let's look at uh, where is your pain and your suffering going to come from? It all tells off of what um, we did this morning. Number one, the broken world that tries to crush you. The broken world that tries to crush you. That's where a lot of your pain and your trial and your suffering, that's where a lot of it is going to come from. 
You know, I think of a college student showing up and they got a test coming up that they, maybe not, they weren't prepared for, and they just feel the weight of that. I think of the, um, uh, not too long ago, I was uh, going down Highway 49, and um, a car was in front of me, and there was a, a truck in front of that vehicle, and there was, it was raining really bad, and the, there was a truck coming beside me, passing us all, but I don't think they realized they were in the turn lane, and they thought they were in the, the go-ahead straight lane. Is that the, what it's called, the go-ahead straight lane? They thought they were in the go-ahead straight lane, but they were in the turn lane, and they realized they were in the turn lane about mid-intersection. There's a concrete divider right there, and so they're just like, whoop, just popped up on it, and they pulled in really quick, and they hit that truck, okay, and it was raining. It was pouring and everything like that, and, you know, I was, I, I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't as close as the car in front of me, but I slowed down, and I was looking at behind me, and I was able to pull around, and I went up ahead and pulled into the gas station. I was getting something for my daughter, taking something to her. Uh, her school, and, you know, I was just, wow, I was kind of, you know, worked up a little bit. I was hoping everybody was okay. Well, when I was coming out of that gas station, the, the police was there, and the two vehicles involved in the accident, they were there too, and they were arguing. Um, the guy that just smashed into the concrete meeting and pulled over and hit her, he was saying that she came over on him, and I said, oh, oh, oh time out. I saw all of it. That's not how it happened, and so one of the things that I had to do, I had to go to my wife's school. I had to give my daughter something, but I also had to get my wallet out of her car. And so I pulled it. I pulled in, you know, get something like that. And the next thing you know, I walk out and there's the, 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 the scene that's happening and they're discussing what happened. And I said, that's not what happened. I saw all of it. And so the police officer's like, well, so can I, can I have your uh, identification so I can? And I was like, well, no, you can't. I don't have my driver's license with me. And he's like, really? I mean, it's pouring. And I'm thinking, Okay, now I'm fixing to get in trouble. And, and I said, sir, look, I saw all of it. I mean, just explain what happened. And, and, and he's wet, and, I, and I, I'm, my wind's down, it's pouring. And, and so this guy over here is like saying she pulled over him, and she's like saying, I didn't even know what was going on. And the, and the cop's there, and it's, it's cold and rainy, and he's upset because he's, he's upset. And I don't have my wallet. And, you know, I'm involved in an auto accident, and, and I'm, I don't, I don't want to get in trouble, that kind of thing. And so as I think, like, like, there's just so many things that just the way the world is can just absolutely wear you out sometimes. It's just, I mean, little things like that, when we say, well, that's not, you know, that, that's a pretty big deal for some people, but it's just, it's one thing after another, right? You pull up to get gas, and you get out, and you're like, man, gas prices have gone up, and you look down, your tire's flat. Great. It's just how the world treats us sometimes, right? You get a bill in the mail, and you're like, well, I thought I paid that. Well, actually, I paid another one that was complimentary to that. This one's more, and we have more to pay. It's just how the world is, right? I mean, you all know. You just are constantly just living your life just with this kind of like pressure of just, just because you live in a broken world. We live in a broken place, a broken world, and it's going to just crush you time and time again throughout, your, throughout the past year. We could probably just think of stories where just something came up that caused you pain or caused you a trial or caused you difficulties. That's just the world we live in. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in, may, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I'm so glad he said this. He said, but take heart. Just take heart. I have overcome the world. The world is a big, nasty place. 
Jesus said, you're going to have a lot of problems in oral. Not necessarily just, to, just something you can attribute one thing to another. It's just because of the world we live in. He said, take heart. I've overcome the world. One of my heroes growing up said this. He said, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning's done. Rocky Balboa. The gospel according to Rocky. I mean, what can we say about that guy? He, his, he blocked with his face. That's how he blocked punches. The world around us, man, it's a crummy place. I was just thinking, like today, right now, it's dark, dreary. We have a precious lady that, there's, no, there's nothing wrong that happened. I mean, there's no, like, human error that happened. She just kind of slipped, and she, when she fell, she grabbed the, the table, and it rolled, and, and, and now this sweet lady is going head to the hospital. I mean, that's where we are. That's, that's, who, that's what we know. That's where we, where we live, this world. But praise God, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. The next thing that will cause suffering, next place where your pain and your suffering is going to come from, the broken serpent who tries to deceive you. Make no mistake about it. The devil is real. Make no mistake about it. He's active. He's pursuing you. He wants to stop you, hurt you, break you, kill you, destroy you. Anything you can possibly imagine, any terrible word you can put in that sentence, you can apply that and attribute that to Satan. He's real. The world around us wants to crush us. The serpent, who has been defeated, by the way, at the cross, he wants to deceive you. There's a lot of scripture about the devil, about Satan. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Many of you know this, and you hold fast to these these the study of the armor of God because you know you've been there before when the attacks, the wiles, the schemes, the snares of the devil. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There are schemes that the devil tries to come at you with and we have a hard time in our culture, in our mind, we have a hard time talking about Satan and talking about the devil. And our culture gives us uh, cartoons and movies that we have images of. And just the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a fantastic story. It's kind of, we're not used to talking animals. We're not used to a snake that speaks up. But he's real. Make no mistake, he's real. Paul, again, in his <clears throat> uh, letters to Timothy, he tells him a couple of times that there's snares of the devil. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. James chapter 4, submit yourselves therefore to God, and he says what? Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. See, the world around us wants to crush us and cause us pain and suffering, but so does Satan, so does the devil. And we don't get that, and people around us don't get that. Now, if you were to talk to your coworkers and you were to say something like, man, the world, it's just a nasty place, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, it is. If they are, you know, they don't go to church or something like that, they might bring up something that's going on in the news or something that's happening overseas or something with the stock market or something like that. But if you said, you know, man, I don't want to give any opportunity to the devil today, they might be like, that's weird. Well, Satan, huh? The world, uh, people in, uh, around us, they don't get that. But the Bible speaks to that. And we need to be aware of that. That Satan is real. That there's plenty of instruction in Scripture that we have that teaches us to avoid the snares, stand against the schemes, resist the devil. The, um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. That's, that's true today, right now. That Satan, the devil, is seeking to consume you, devour you, destroy you with schemes, with snares. Now, a lot of, a lot of you have traveled uh, internationally, and one of the things that I've noticed when uh, you know, I've spent some time in Africa and South America and different places, is they have some places, for some reason, they have a heightened sense of demonic activity. Like they have a lot of stories of like Satan in their, uh, in their village kind of thing. But we don't have a whole lot of that talk. We don't have a whole lot of people in our communities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods that, hey, hey man, you won't believe what happened last night. Man, Satan showed up and he, ooh. Oh, really? Man, it happened to me the other night. Like, that's not the conversation that you have. And I think one of the reasons that's not the conversation that you have a lot is because of the simple fact that Satan, one of the, th one of the things that we can uh, describe him as is he's the accuser or he's a liar. See, we don't have a whole lot of, like, room-shaking demonic experiences that we have because all Satan has to do to us is just kind of twist something a little bit, and he's just kind of sitting back. I mean, he's got you. Because he accuses you and, you, and you are full of shame and guilt over something that Jesus already paid for with his precious blood. So, so Satan's not going to try to come in and, like, shake your bedpost at night to freak you out. He's like, I've lied to them, and they bought it. They bit it. And they, they swallowed it. And for 10 years, they still think, and they still believe the lie. John 10, 10, thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But thanks be to God that that's not all Jesus said there. He says, I came that they, have met, that they may have life and life abundantly. So someone wants to make sure you don't have life abundantly, but someone wants to make sure you do have life abundantly, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has defeated the adversary, the devil. But even though that jackal has been defeated and backed into a corner, he has fiery arrows, and he knows right where to shoot those. He can be a tempter, a liar, an accuser. And I believe in our culture, 
Satan's most successful scheme is gospel-related. He just can get you to just embrace a falsehood, not even true, of the gospel. That's why so many times so many Christians are walking around defeated, full of shame, full of guilt. And they think that God is not pleased with them. They think that God's not happy with them. They think that God is upset at them for something they did or, or something they keep doing. And see, God, yeah, God wants to, to, to mold us and shape us. And he wants to keep us on the potter's wheel. And when we're on the potter's wheel and that potter sticks his fingers in us, that, that can be painful. And he rolls us around on the table, that can be painful. But it doesn't change our position in him. Because he's still a good, good father that has saved us completely, forgiven us completely. That all of your sins are gone and washed away. All of them today, right now. Amen. And i got to remind myself of that. And I'll beat that dead horse silly if I need to. Because I'm telling myself that what I've done and the, the mistakes that I've made, that doesn't define me. Because Jesus is like, ooh, no, I've taken care of that. So the world around us, the world around us wants to crush us. The defeated, broken serpent wants to destroy us too. Broken people, number three. The broken people who try to wound you. That's where it's in pain. You'll have pain in your life from that. Broken people. Man, this is part of the fall. People, every day you come in contact with people, they're, 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 they're lost. They're, um, maybe, they, maybe they're a Christian and... They, they're going through a really bad time in their life. And next, I mean, just because there's broken people all around you, and you're broken, I'm broken, and we just break each other sometimes. We hurt each other. And, and God has called us to, to, to live a life of, of gospel obedience, to go and proclaim. Now, when we go and proclaim, we go to parts of the world that, are, that, that there are broken people that they don't want to hear it. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, listen to this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, I mean, everybody in here would raise their hand and say, I desire to live a godly life. Paul says everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who, who's going to persecute you? Broken people are going to persecute you. People who are not saved, who have not obeyed the gospel. It might be a Christian that might persecute you because they've totally missed, they've totally bought into a lie or the world has crushed them and they're just beat up and broken. There's people all around us. I mean, you, everyone in here has got a story of somebody that's hurt you, somebody that's done something that's damaged you, damaged your heart. You have a broken heart today because somebody did something. But we have to. Embrace forgiveness. That's when broken people will wound you. We have to embrace forgiveness. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. People will hurt you. Broken people will cause you pain and suffering. And it might be a it might be pain and suffering that you just have to deal with for a long time. You've got to walk that road of pain and suffering that's been caused by broken people. You've got to forgive them. 
talked a little bit about that this morning. It's so important. It's so important to learn how to embrace forgiveness in your life and to forgive people. You're going to forgive and you're going to get better or you're going to not forgive and get bitter. And you're going to spend decades in the pew as a bitter person. And you're going to miss so much that God has for you because you didn't forgive the broken person who tried to break you and wound you. We all have stories. I got stories about that. And I've talked about and I've preached about forgiveness before. There's a sermon I preached, uh, I don't know, two years ago on forgiveness. And I've recently had somebody say, that was my favorite sermon you've ever preached. And they listened to it some because they've, they've been hurt by a broken person who, who's broken them. And they didn't need to be reminded of forgiveness. That's where some of your pain and suffering is going to come from. And many of us, have, we're, y'all are with me right now. You're, you're, you've seen how the world, you've seen how Satan, you've seen how people will hurt you and cause you pain and suffering. The next source of pain and suffering, number four, is the broken person in the mirror looking back at you. So a lot of people go through pain and suffering in their life and they really want to try hard to attribute that to something else, but it's their fault. I've, I've, I've been hurt and wounded in my life and I, because I've done something stupid. Do you know what I'm talking about? James chapter 1 says this, verse 14 and 15. Listen to this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by Satan? No, by his own desire. One of your biggest enemies in the Christian life is you. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. It's just gross. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. That didn't sound good, but it's true. You know, when people say, when you point a finger at somebody, there's three pointing back at you. <clears throat> there's some, I mean, there are people with horror stories. They've made a mistake. They've done something they shouldn't have, and it's caused them pain. They try, to, try hard to you know, attribute it to somebody else. It's their fault. Are you, are you going through something right now in your life? Is there pain and suffering in your life that you're experiencing right now? And you would like to blame it on something else, but it's your fault, isn't it? A temptation, <clears throat> a desire that you had, prep in, it gave birth to sin and that sin grew up and it brought death. David is one of my favorite characters in scripture and we, we've alluded to the fact that we think that for the most part that David wrote Psalm 71 that we talked about this morning. Um, <clears throat> there's a turning point in the life of David in 2 Samuel 
chapter 11, you find the story of David and Bathsheba. David is king. David is the most powerful man on the planet. He's got the toughest army. He's got the most gold. He's got all, any, anything you can imagine he's got. But it said in the time when kings go out to war, David kind of, he, he kind of hanged back. He, he stayed up too late the night before playing Xbox or something. I don't know. And so he was getting up and arose late in the morning and saw Bathsheba, right? You know the story. And there, there she was. And he's like, whoa. And had, it brought her to him. And uh, he got her pregnant. And he tried to cover up the, his tracks. And Uriah, he, her wife, um, I'm sorry, her husband, <laughs> Uriah, he, David had him on the front line. And, and it was, there's murder and it just spiraled out of control of David's desire. And it just made a huge mess of things. And David just kind of tried to cover it up and cover it up and kind of move on with life and it just didn't really work out. And then 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan, the prophet, shows up and tells David this story. He said, hey, suppose there's this guy. You know, hey, David, check this out. Suppose there's this guy and he really loves this one lamb. It's like his favorite thing in the world, this one little lamb. And he, you know, he pets it and he loves it and he's cute. And he's got a neighbor and this neighbor is really wealthy. This neighbor has a, has a lot of sheep and other cattle. And this neighbor has a friend coming over, and this neighbor's like, hey, we're going to have a feast, and we're going to, you know, put, we're going to put a, a real nice rack of lamb up. And so this guy goes and gets this guy, this other guy's lamb, and he kills his lamb. He only has one, and this guy takes it, and he kills it, and he has a party. What do you think about that, David? And David was upset. He's like, that guy that did that, he needs to die. And that's when Nathan said to David, you are the man. You know the story, right? 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you in your master's house to your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your house. And many of you know the story, the, the rest of the story, where David is just running. After that, every turn, David's life is just tragedy. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. The other part of verse 15, but just that first part of verse 15 that ends that paragraph, then Nathan went to his house. Just kind of haunting 
Because here's David. And he's caused a lot of pain for other people. He's done some pretty atrocious things. And it's caused him pain as well. The rest of his life is marked by just God being merciful and other people not killing him. So, let's just be realistic. There's things that, that there's pain and suffering that we're going to go through. And it's, it's our fault sometimes. It doesn't mean that God can't forgive you. Can you be forgiven? Absolutely. Can you be restored? Absolutely. Will you hurt yourself and others because of the sin and because of the decisions that you've made to do something that you know is outside of God's plan and God's design and God's will for your life? Yeah, you will cause pain. You will cause suffering. And a lot of times people say, man, this, I'm just suffering for Jesus. I must be. You know? No, you're not suffering for Jesus. You're suffering because of the sin. You got caught. You tried to hide it. And you're hurting people. I wish it wasn't like that. Believe me, you're standing up here. I'm standing up here and looking at you, and you're sitting there looking at me. I'm, I'm a man. I'm, I'm capable of hurting people. And I want to wake up every day and just hold fast to the Lord and say, God, I'm capable of atrocious things. Help me. Help me, God. You are too. You're capable of some terrible things. The next one. The next cause of pain and suffering. Get this. The breaker, who also is the mender. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. After David got called out by Nathan about the acts that he did with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah. He wrote Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one of my favorite psalms. It's just a broken man crying out, begging for repentance, begging for healing. And he says this, Psalm 51, this is verse, look in verse seven. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me Hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's just... Let's just be realistic with Christian doctrine. God has a purpose and plan for your life. And he cares way more about your character than your circumstances. Don't put it past God to cause pain in your life. I mean, I, he's still a good, good father. When, when David said, let the bones that you broke rejoice. We, want, we can talk a lot about the fear of the Lord. We have to understand who is capable of throwing both body and soul into hell. And we need a healthy fear of God, a reverence. You know, you, you, the thing is, is like we, we, we're in a society where you can only do certain things as a parent you know, you hear stories of 
some lady spanking her kid in Walmart. Next thing you know, she's arrested. She's beating her kid. Oh, she went way too far. See, God disciplines those he loves. And God can exercise discipline in a way he sees fit. So if you are, if you're his, if you belong to him, and you tarry on and you tarry on and you are wayward and you are chasing after other gods, you are running after things that are less majestic, wonderful, and beautiful than the one true God, well, God might do something to bring you back. I'm not saying he will, but I don't put it past him. Here's the good thing about God being the breaker of our bones. He's the only one who can mend our bones too. He's the only one. If you've ever been through a season in your life where it was a dark, miserable time of pain and suffering, and you struggled with some kind of sin, and you struggled and you struggled and you struggled, and God was patient and kind to you, and the next thing you know, he's breaking you. That's not because he's a bad, bad father. He knows what's best for you. And he's not going to break you and leave you broken. He's going to break you and carry you. I've heard it said, and I'm not a, a, a shepherd, I don't have sheep, that kind of thing. I've heard it said that sometimes when a shepherd who had a sheep that continually ran off and he would lead the flock and go find the, the one wayward shepherd, I heard that sometimes they would take this sheep and the shepherds would break their legs and then they would carry the sheep on, around their neck because the way the sheep you know, obeyed orders is they understood the voice of the shepherd. And this one sheep kept running off, and he would get caught in the ditch or almost killed by wolves, that kind of thing. And the shepherd would have to go and bring him back. He didn't understand the, sh the shepherd's voice. And so the shepherd would have to take the sheep and break its legs, and he would carry that sheep the whole time until the legs were well. And as this sheep is right next, and next to the shepherd's voice, they would, they would learn the shepherd's voice. And after that sheep got well, that sheep never ran off ever like okay you're a little close and they were right there through everything because sometimes the good shepherd has to be really strong and really good and break something to mend something so maybe just maybe you're experiencing some kind of pain some kind of suffering in your life right now because you have a good, good father who's not going to let you go too far away. And you try, you keep running, but you run into him. And see, the thing is, is when we talk about the mender, he became broken to fix everything. He break th breaks things to make it better. But then he stepped in and said, you know what, I'll be broken and I'll solve all these problems. That's why Jesus said, I've overcome the world. That's why we can stand, um, you know, secure in the fact that in Genesis 3.16, when the proclamation of, their, of the serpent's head will be crushed and, and the seed of the woman's heel would be, would be bruised, that's a gospel proclamation that, that Jesus is, he's going to take, he's going to fix the broken world. He's going to crush the serpent. He's going to, he's going to, 
take all of your sins and all of my sins, and because he's the, he's the breaker, the, the mender is going to get upon the cross and be broken himself. And see, we don't, we don't understand sometimes that part of the story. Even as Sunday night crowd, it doesn't, we just don't react to it the same way we really should. Man, you are so broken. And Jesus fixed it. There's a, in classical Greek theater, there's a term called deus ex machina. Deus ex machina basically is a Latin phrase or Greek phrase that means uh, God from the machine. Now, what would happen in theater where, you know, people would come and they would, there'd be a new playwright that wrote a new production and everybody's really excited to see what, what this play was all about. And so what the writer would do sometimes is they would kind of write themselves into a corner with the main characters. And everybody that was watching the play, they were like, what's going to happen? Like, there's no way. There's no way that that person's going to be able to get out of this really terrible, sticky, difficult situation. And so what the writer would do is basically have one of their deities, one of their gods, they would have some kind of machine that they would rig. And somebody would come in behind the scenes and they would like lower the god or the deity from the machine and they would come down and he would save the day. And everybody would be like, woohoo, yeah. But eventually people just got to where the deus ex machina was something they come to expect. And they were like, you know, the, the writer's just being kind of lazy. You know, this, this whole god coming up from the floor, like, okay. You know, eventually they were like, Sure, why not? We've seen it. All. We've 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 seen this before. Essentially, they become inoculated to the fact that the people in the play were so desperate, so hopeless. They've heard it and they've seen it before that the God would show up and fix things, and they'd, they'd kind of gasp and kind of like, "Oh yeah, here it is again." That's where we are. I mean, that's why we don't just celebrate. When someone says, hey, everything was really bad, really painted into a corner, really broken, really messed up, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Oh, and by the way, Jesus, he came in and he was broken on your behalf and he rose from the grave and he defeated everything and he made everything right. And you're like, yeah. That's why you're still just looking at me like that right now. You've heard it before. Not new to you, is it? Yeah. See, everything around us is broken. And God miraculously fixed it with the cross. Praise God he did that. Love, I mean, coming up from, I mean, just made it right. Our pain and our suffering has a source. Our pain and our suffering has a purpose. Understanding where your pain and your suffering will come from and understanding God has a purpose in it all, I think leads, to, leads our heart to two places. The first place it can lead us is contentment. So you're, you're, you're experiencing pain and suffering. Or you know somebody's experiencing pain and suffering. But if we understand the source of that and we understand the responses to that, we understand who God is in the midst of that, we can find contentment in it. Contentment. Such a valuable commodity in our day and time. Nobody's content with anything anymore. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse right there is talking about being content in Christ. Contentment. Jeremiah Burris is a Puritan. He wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He said, my brethren, the reason why you have not got contentment in the things the world, the things of the world is not because you have not got enough of them. That is not the reason. But the reason is because they are not things proportionable to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. What he's saying here simply is this. You in who you are, God in who he is, has made a way that you basically can have God. He can be yours. You can be his. And so that's why we have such a hard time, especially in our society. We live in an affluent society where everybody wants more. You gotta have this, you gotta have that. People keeping up with the Joneses. Man, I'm trying to keep up with the Wallaces. Other people I'm trying to keep up with. You have built in you a hunger and thirst. Augustine said a God-sized vacuum, a God-sized hole in the depths of who you are. The reason that, that so many people are just scratching around trying to fill the need is because, man, we're, we're made for something else. But as Christians... Seeing the world around us, seeing what's going, seeing the pain and the suffering that we go through. If we could get to where Paul is, and if we could say, I've understood and I've been here, and I've been here, really good, really bad, in the middle, in between, and I've learned the secret. There's a rare jewel of contentment. And I think that's a good place to be in the midst of your suffering. Be content. So our hearts, I think, when we understand the source and the reasons and the response to pain and suffering, one response to that can be contentment. Another response to that can be non-contentment. And I think you need both. I think you need to be content and non-content at the same time. I don't even have a good word for non-contentment. Somebody later find me a good word for that. C.S. Lewis said this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when innate and when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We need to get to where we're, we're really discontent. The world and everything broken around us ought to get us to the place where we're like, okay, I have Jesus, I have enough. He's all I need. I'm content with that. But at the same time, we're like, man, there's still a whole lot more than I want. And that can be found in Christ. And so you kind of swell up with this contentment and non-contentment. And you want to kind of balance that out. I promise you, it's going to help you. It's going to help you in your trials. It's going to help you in your pain. It's going to help you in your suffering. You can be content and you can be non-content at the same time. And how do you be non-content? The best way to do that is just 
find your heart in the place in your life where John was in John chapter 3, verse 30. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. What is the desire of your heart? Is the desire of your heart to, to be comfortable, to be away from pain and suffering? In the midst of pain and suffering, you can be content in that. Good to find a place of contentment in that. But at the same time, you need to have some kind of growl within the depths of your soul that says, what I have now, that is not enough. That's why John was like, he must increase and I must decrease. You need in your life tonight less of you and you need more of him. I need that. Less of me and more of him. Less of me and more of thee. Why don't you pray that in the morning, every morning when you wake up? Wake up in the morning and say, God, I want more of you today and less of me. One of the problems that we have is that we live, like we live in a society, we live in a culture right now that we can't wait for anything. We don't know how to get our hearts to the place where we're like, God, I really want so much more of you, and I'm not okay with what I have now. Because we can Google any question. Everybody in this room has a device that you can pull out of your pocket, and you can ask Google every question you can imagine right now. How do I defeat sin in my life? You can Google that right now. You might come up with some pretty good answers. How do I lead my wife spiritually? How do, I, how do I walk this life and conquer pain and suffering? All of your answers are at your fingertips. We're far too easily pleased. We don't need to run to Google. We need to get our hearts to a place where like, God, whatever it takes for you to do in me, that's what I want. I want to desire you, God. I want to be desperate for you. I want to go to you for the answers, not Google. I mean, we just, we are trained to live without uncertainty. Anything that is uncertain in your life, you panic. You don't know how to deal with that. Our culture has trained you to be that way. Because we want answers, we want them quick. We want to express lane faith is what we want. Where we can get in, get out, get what we want, get what we need, get on our list, and we don't have to deal with anybody. We just get what we want and get out of here, right? Our culture around us is trying so hard to speed us up because we want to be more and more efficient because we are very busy and we are not stressed out about anything either, are we? That is not true. See, it's hard for some people to sit in church for an hour and a half. See, many of you right now, you're thinking about something tomorrow. You got something going on tomorrow you're thinking about right now. Chop, chop, Rod. Tired. But sometimes we just need to be like, Lord, I wholeheartedly accept your plan with, in whatever it takes, God. Get me to the place where I just want more and more of you. I don't necessarily want you to fix my pain and my suffering and my problems. 
And so when we get to the place where we're like, God, I want more and more of you, God's like, okay, you ready to do this? You ready for this? Okay, this is what we're going to do. And he begins taking our express lane faith that we have, and he starts pulling it apart, deconstructing it. God wants us to have a freight train faith, not an express lane faith. And a freight train is big. It's heavy. It takes a long time to get it going. But it's really hard to stop. Really hard to stop. Many of us have settled for an express lane faith. We get some answers. We get it really quick. Now we zip through. But anytime anything comes into our life that causes us a hiccup or a roadblock or speed bump, pain and suffering, we don't know how to deal with that. We freak out and we turn into uh, kids or something. I don't know what, I mean, what, what's the problem? Why do we do that? Because we need to get to the place where we say, God, whatever it takes, God, I want to be more and more like you. I walk with you daily, grind with you. So, tomorrow, I don't know where, where the pain and suffering is in your life. It might not be there right now, but it might come tomorrow. But get your heart to the place where you're like, God, whatever it takes, I want more and more of you. I want you to fix my problems right now. I want more of you. I want more of you. Because God knows that's what you need the most of is him. You don't need your problems fixed. You don't need an express lane faith. You need a freight train faith. It's big, heavy. It can hold a lot. Something gets on the track, man, you just push through it. Boom. Pull over that broke down truck to smithereens is trying to stop you on your track. Nope. Not stopping. Not stopping you. So, in the midst of your suffering, you can settle, but don't settle. Don't just settle. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Let's pray and ask God to increase our faith. Let's pray and ask God to, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, to, to teach us how to, how to lean on him and trust him. And let's pray and say, God, whatever it takes, God, we want to grow in you, Lord. If, if you're not going to pull these pain and suffering situations out of my life, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I want more and more of you. When I'm done praying, we'll have a time of response. Craig will be leading us, and we're going to have a time of prayer that, that, that you're walking in, you're going down a road right now that's marked with pain and suffering. Many of you are. And you've stopped praying about that. You don't need to stop praying about that. What you need to stop, start praying is, God, whatever it takes, increase my faith. Whatever it takes, make me more like you. Because that's what's most important. Pray, God, we thank you so much, God, for.